0: Genesis eighteen one through fifteen. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Laughter is a uh,
1: fascinating and a contagious thing. I'm sure most of you know. Uh, I remember growing up. Um, oftentimes, my family would watch comedies in our, you know, in our den, in our living room on uh, weekends. And um, during funny scenes, my dad would often lay down, you know, like some sort of ancient king with a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of pillows. He'd lay down on the floor, and we'd all be sitting in couches, and we'd be watching a movie. And a funny scene would come up, and my dad would just start laughing so hard that you know his whole body would begin to convulse and. His laugh was so funny that eventually everyone else else in the family, instead of laughing at the funny scene in the movie, we were laughing at our dad. Have you ever had an experience like that where someone's laughter is so funny in, of a, in and of itself or so contagious that you begin to laugh with them, not necessarily at them, right? You laugh with them. It's just, it's just a mysterious and interesting thing, laughter is. Um, The idea of laughter reminds me of this great quote from Marilyn Robinson in her book, Gilead, which is one of my favorite books. It's right here on the screen. Let me read it for you. Here's what she writes. It is an amazing thing to watch people laugh, the way it sort of takes them over. Sometimes they really do struggle with it. So I wonder what it is and where it comes from. And I wonder what it expends out of your system so that you have to do it till you're done. Like crying in a way, I suppose, except that laughter is much more easily spent. The main theme, in many ways, of our story this morning in the life of Abraham is the theme of laughter. Laughter is a fascinating and also a complex thing. There really are different kinds of laughter. You might say there's two different kinds of laughter. There's a cynical laughter, and there's a joyful laughter. And the story of the scriptures talks about both, really. And what we're going to do today is look at Both of those kinds of laughter as we in particular focus on Abraham's wife this morning, Sarah and what God is doing in her life here in Genesis 18. And I just want to tell you that I think this is such a beautiful, life-altering passage. I was really moved by the study of it this week, and I've been praying that we would be moved by how gracious God is. So it's been 25 years now at this point in Abraham's life since God first appeared to him back in Genesis 12 and made him these amazing and gracious promises. And now Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is about 90 years old. Abraham has been promised a son by God, but he still doesn't have a child, at least with Sarah. He wants Ishmael, his child with Hagar, to be the heir and the inheritor of the promises. We see that at the end of chapter 17, but God has said, no, you're going to have a child with Sarah. You're going to have a son with Sarah. He's going to be the one that inherits by covenant promises to you. So that's the plot tension of this entire narrative as we move forward in Abraham's life. And really, what the author wants us to see again and again is, it's just a ridiculous thing to believe that these two old people are going to have a child. It just stretches reason far beyond the limits. And and really, in a sense, that's the whole point of Abraham's life. This is a story about Abraham and Sarah's struggles to believe. And that's important because each one of us, no matter where we are right now spiritually, we also at some point struggle to believe. We struggle to trust the miraculous and marvelous promises of God when circumstances in our lives especially seem to tell us that God is not to be trusted, that God is not to be depended on. And so again this morning, there's so much, I think, for us to take in and to learn. And here in particular, we see that Sarah, again, is the focus of the story, She doesn't believe. In fact, she is hopeless. She's worn out. She is jaded. And so the question is, how will God respond to her? How will he react? Let's look and see. I love this story. Here's a way to sum up the main idea. The promise of God creates joy out of hopelessness. That's the point. The promise of God creates joy out of hopelessness. Two ideas, two points that come from that main idea. I want to show you the laugh of hopelessness and then secondly, the laugh of joy. So first, let's look at the laugh of hopelessness. What happens in this story? Chapter 18, verse 1, three visitors, we read, come and visit Abraham and his dwelling in Canaan. And yet as the story progresses, it becomes evident that um, these people have really come to speak with Sarah. And it's a bit ambiguous as you initially read it, but I'm persuaded that Abraham does not know eventually or initially that these visitors are the Lord himself and two of his messengers, two angels. There's some debate about whether or not Abraham knows. I don't think he does know, at least initially. Some people say that he probably did know immediately who these three men were because he's so nice and hospitable to them. And my response to that is Abraham is just acting like a normal, ancient, near-eastern head of household would have acted. You see, in that sort of culture, hospitality was, it was almost, you know, value number one. It was a very, very important thing. It was just the normal expectation of people in the ancient world. And so Abraham is just doing what was expected of him here. We read in verse 2, he runs out to meet these three men. He bows low to them. And then 3 and 4, he urges them to stay and to refresh themselves. And then in verses 6 through 8, he makes them this great meal. And then verse 9, he stands there, uh, verse 8, and waits on them while they eat. He is hospitable. Just as a real brief one sentence aside, this reminds me of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 13, verse 2, where the author of that book is commentating on Abraham's life. And he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. That's exactly what's happening here. It's almost certain that Abraham doesn't recognize these messengers, these angels for who they are until verses 9 and 10. And as you just think about this in terms of a story, you'll see that in verse 9, the people say to him, where is Sarah? They know Sarah's name, you see. Abraham hasn't given them her name. Sarah hasn't interacted with them at all as far as we can tell, and she isn't there now, so how do they know his wife's name? And then furthermore, they say in verse 10 that surely I will come back next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So they not only know Sarah's name, but they know the promise, you see, the promise that God has made to Abraham and to Sarah. And so now Abraham and Sarah can draw the correct conclusion about who these visitors of theirs really are. It's really a fascinating narrative as it flows along. But the heart of the story really is verses 11 through 15. And and what we see here is that God has really come to confirm the promise that he made to Sarah. He's come to confirm the promise to Sarah. And so we read there with, you know, such a dramatic scene that she's listening behind the door of the tent, and God speaks the promise again to Abraham knowing that Sarah's listening that in a year he and Sarah will have a son there in verse 10. Now this is a new level of specificity to the promise. It's only 1 year away at this point that you will have a child, okay? So that's where we are. And Sarah's response to this message is the key to the whole story. It's the key to the whole story. Let's look at it together. Notice that the author adds there in verse 11 look at what he says he said sarah and abraham were old thanks a lot moses you know thanks for reminding us they're old they're advanced in years the way of women had ceased to be with sarah in other words she can't have children there is no way the emphasis is on the impossibility of the promise of god from a human perspective Sarah agrees that it is impossible. And so we read in verse 12 that she laughed to herself. Sarah is thinking here, I am worn out, Abraham is old, and I'm going to have this pleasure. Now, that word pleasure, you might think that word means the pleasure of having a child. The word, just to try and be as ungraphic as I can here, refers to a different kind of pleasure. It refers to marital intimacy. So basically what Sarah is saying here is, I haven't been intimate with my husband. My husband's old. Our marriage is on the rocks. There's no way we're going to have children. It's not gonna happen. It's not possible. Sarah's thinking to herself, life has not turned out the way we had hoped. Marriage has not turned out the way we had hoped. Our relationship with God has not turned out the way we had hoped. Listen, just do this with me. Imagine with me for a minute what Sarah's life must be like. It's been 25 years, 25 years, a quarter of a century since the promise was first made to them by God. She's still childless. Her husband's name, Abraham, that name means father of a multitude. In a piercing irony, she has no children despite that being her husband's name. And furthermore, she has to watch Abraham from time to time most likely be happy with his son by Hagar, Ishmael, whom she likely sees as a product of her own attempts to manufacture a way to get God to do what he has promised. Every time she sees Abraham and Ishmael together, Sarah has to feel salt on the wounds of her soul. Listen, this is a woman with incredible shame in a culture where Having a child was priority number one for females. This is a woman with incredible disappointment. This is a woman with a broken down marriage. This is a woman whose life has hit a dead end, and she is waiting for it to be over. This is a woman who is hopeless. She is bitter. She is cynical. She is jaded. She is tired. And it is in this context that she laughs to herself. You see this is the laugh of hopelessness. This is the laugh of despair. This is dark comedy. You know most modern stand-up comedy by the way is based on this kind of laughter. Most of it is cynical laughter. Just as in an example, by the way I do not in any way recommend this comedian, but he's a well-known comedian his name's Louis CK, he once wrote this. You've got to be optimistic to be single. Stupid. You have to be stupid. That's what optimistic means, you know. It means stupid. An optimist is somebody who goes, hey, maybe something nice will happen. Why would anything nice happen? And people laugh at that. It's a cynical joke. It's a dark joke. It's a hopeless sort of humor. And that's exactly where Sarah finds herself at this point in our story. Listen. God speaks to those of us who feel hopeless. You feel hopeless? Do you feel worn out? Are you tired? Are you cynical? Is your laughter more often than not the laughter of unbelief and despair? The laughter of hopelessness? Don't think about your life. I don't know all of your details, but I can imagine that we have those moments from time to time. I mean, maybe some of you have been praying for God to bring you healing from sickness, maybe for months or years or decades, and there's been no advancement, and you're tired of it. Maybe you've been going to counseling for your marriage or because of your relationship with your children or your parents or some other part of your extended family, and you've done all that you can think of to make things different and better. But there's no improvement. And you think to yourself, you might even say out loud, he is not going to change. She is not going to change. They are not going to change. This is not going to change. It's hopeless. Maybe you've desperately desired a good thing for a long time. A spouse children like Sarah, relief from some addiction, maybe, and God just hasn't given it, and you're tired. You feel hopeless. Maybe you're a chronic doubter. I know some folks like that. I'm sometimes like that. You don't want to be, but you can't help yourself. You doubt the truth of the Bible. You doubt people's good intentions. You doubt the church. You doubt God. You struggle to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, and you're tired. There's no difference in this for you. There's hopelessness setting in. Listen, Sarah's laughter here summarizes and involves all of our hopeless moments. All of our moments of utter and exhausted cynicism. All of our frustration with God, wondering if he's ever going to do anything about this or anything about that. Is that where you are? you know, by the way, it's okay to be honest. This is a place to be honest. This is a time for the hopeless to admit that sometimes we do, in fact, feel that way. Oftentimes, Christianity does not encourage honest hopelessness to be confessed. Musicians and artists tend to do this better. One of my favorite Musicians right now is a singer-songwriter named Jason Isbell. I got to see him a few weeks ago; really great show. And he has a song called "Elephants," and the song is about a friend of his who's dying of cancer and his struggle to cope with this whole scenario. And, and at one point, he sings this. Let me read this verse: "She said, Andy, you crack me up. Seagram's in a coffee cup. Sharecropper eyes and her hair almost all gone. When she was drunk, she made cancer jokes." She made up her own doctor's notes. Surrounded by her family, I saw that she was dying alone. If there's one thing that's real clear to me, it's no one dies with dignity. We just try to ignore the elephant somehow. Somehow. You know, he's being many things there, but one thing he is being is honest. Honest with his hopelessness. Honest with his fatigue. Honest with his doubt. And I want you to hear this. The Bible speaks to you in real ways. The Bible understands you. You know, as I said before, oftentimes the Bible reads you more than you read it. And listen, in the moment when you most feel that God is gone, in the moment that you feel it is most hopeless, that is the moment when God in the gospel arrives to speak to you. That is when God asks, why are you laughing? as he does for Sarah here. That is when God comes to remind you that there is no such thing as a hopeless dead end for the one who trusts God's promise to them. Let me show you, okay? We see Sarah's reached what she thinks is a dead end. The laugh of hopelessness comes out of her mouth. But then secondly, I want to show you that this story is also about the laugh of joy. The laugh of joy, First, just look with me for a second at how gentle God is in his response to Sarah's hopeless and cynical laughter. Look in verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? You know, it's almost like God is astonished at Sarah's astonishment at God. (laughs) Do you follow that? God is astonished that Sarah is astonished that God would ever be able to do this. And then he simply says, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? More on that in just a second. But for now, I want you to just simply see that that God does not crush this already crushed old lady. God does not rebuke Sarah here. He does not say, Sarah, I've been telling you I'll do it, okay? Kind of like when I need to go mow the lawn. And I say to my, I've been telling you I'll go mow. As soon as the game's over, I'll go. That's not what God does here. Sarah, I made you the promise. I'm going to do it. Would you stop doubting? Get over yourself, Sarah. Come on. I told you I was going to do it. I sent a dream to Abraham where I walked through dead body parts. Is that not enough for you, Sarah? That's not what God does. God is gentle with this doubting old woman, with this hopeless Sarah. He patiently reminds her again there in verse 14. I will return to you in one year's time, and you will have a son. Now, Sarah's still afraid. She's afraid he's going to respond the way most people would probably respond, with destructive anger, right? And so she denies that she laughs. Even though she had laughed to herself, God knows. She says, I didn't laugh, and I love this. God says, oh, you laughed. You laughed. And it's not like, a, you know, like, I'm going to, chalk this up as a credit on your account with me no it's a i want you to remember this moment of hopeless laughter and see what kind of laughter you have in a year that's what god's doing here he doesn't crush her he doesn't condemn her he doesn't destroy her he says you laughed i'm going to show you sarah a new kind of laughter look what i will do and and really the peak of god's response the heart of it is this rhetorical question in verse 14. Is anything too difficult for Yahweh, for the Lord? You know, I prefer a translation. You might have it in your footnote of your Bible. Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too wonderful for God? God is saying, Sarah, I will do wonderful things beyond your wildest imaginings. Sarah, nothing is impossible with me. Your age is no barrier to my grace. Your background is no barrier to my grace. Your struggling marriage is no barrier to my grace. Nothing is a barrier for my grace, for my wonderful grace. There is nothing too wonderful for me. Listen, you cannot exaggerate the wonders that God brings to his people. There is never a time when it is hopeless with God. Never. The scriptures are full of these sorts of stories that confirm that to us. Just a couple of examples to illustrate this. We see all over the Bible people who saw this truth. I'm reminded of Hannah, Samuel's mother. You read about her in the beginning of First Samuel. She's hopeless like Sarah is here in our story. Her womb has been closed. She's unable to have children. And she's been provoked by other women. And we read at the very beginning of 1 Samuel that she weeps bitterly. She can't even eat. She's so sad. And what happens to Hannah? 1 Samuel 1, 19. The Lord remembered Hannah. The Lord remembered her. I'm reminded of Naomi. In the Old Testament book of Ruth, whose husband has died, who's been left alone. She's widowed, she's helpless, she's hopeless in a strange new place. And what happens? At the end of that story, the women of the town said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Listen, God, the real God, the real God, the only God, sees people in their lowest and most hopeless moments and comes to their aid. That is what God is like. Do you know that? And and guess what? He does the same thing for Sarah. He keeps his promise. What he does is he, he turns her laughter from one of hopelessness to one of joy. Let me just show you. Let me jump ahead a little bit. Go to Genesis 21, if you have a Bible with you. A couple of chapters ahead. Genesis 21, 6. After Isaac has been born to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she names her son Isaac, which means in Hebrew, guess what? Laughter. Laughter. God reaches Sarah. God helps her. God does what he has promised. She waits on the Lord and he hears her. Listen, what does this story mean to show you? What does God want you to see about him as a result of reading this and hearing this today? Well, there's probably multiple things, but let me just say this. God is able to turn all of our hopelessness into joy. And he will do so. Listen, when you are so tired of waiting and asking and begging and crying and pleading and doubting and worrying and suffering that you don't know where to go, you don't know where to turn, go to this story. Go to the God of Abraham and Sarah. Go to the God of Hannah. Go to the God of Naomi. Go to your God. He does hear you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you in hopelessness. He is able to turn your hopeless laughter into joyous laughter. How can we know that? He did it for Sarah, sure. The Bible's full of these amazing stories. My life is different though. Maybe that's what you're thinking. That's okay. But let me just try and wrap up with this. We don't know that God will turn our hopeless joy into or our hopeless laughter into joyous laughter because you know somehow God's like Santa Claus in the sky and he's going to give us everything we ever want if we ask hard enough. That's not a valid conclusion to draw from this story. Uh, it's actually a better promise that God makes to us than just to give us whatever we want or whatever we think we need when we want it. God actually assures us that he will turn our laughter of hopelessness into laughter of joy because God gives us himself. When God says to Sarah, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Way back in Genesis 18, it takes me to another encounter God has with another woman with no children. In fact, with another woman who couldn't possibly have children at that point in her life. Uh, This woman's name was Mary. And we read about her in Luke chapter 1. When another angel appeared to her. And told her that you, just like he said to Sarah, will bear a son, even though this woman was a virgin. And like Sarah, Mary asks, Luke chapter 1 verse 34, how can this be? And like he said to Sarah, God here says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And it is because of that child... It is because of Jesus. It is because of God's greatest gift of himself that we can be certain that he will not leave us in hopelessness, that he will hear us and comfort us, that he is a God of rescue and relief to the oppressed and the weary. God gave us Jesus. God gave us himself. And and Jesus became weary and oppressed and burdened and shamed and alone so that we would never have to be. Jesus experienced the hopelessness of God's abandonment on the cross so that we will never be abandoned by God. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to ensure that God would never forsake us? You can know that you are never hopeless because Jesus carries our hopelessness away at the cross and gives us in his resurrection joy instead. Marilyn Robinson says elsewhere in Gilead grace has a grand laughter in it grace has a grand laughter in it you know in many ways this story the story of Sarah's life is an invitation to each one of us to wonder not like curious wonder but amazed wonder an invitation to wonder to wonder at God's grace to to laugh with wonder, Listen, people who understand the gospel can laugh. They can laugh the laughter of joy. People who understand the gospel can, can say to themselves, or maybe even out loud, I can't believe what God has done for me. <laughs> I'm amazed that he has brought me into his family. Can, can you laugh like that with the joy of the gospel, seeing how it takes you out of hopelessness? That's what God did for Sarah. It's what God did does for us in the gospel and he's calling each one of us to by faith see even when we feel like life is hopeless there is joy at the end of each of our paths because jesus in his death and resurrection has walked the path before us maybe the best way to wrap up is to quote from isaiah chapter 54 where the prophet writes sing O barren one sing you who did not bear break forth into singing And cry aloud, with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father.